Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. We've been having some wonderful prayer meetings this week. Uh, 7 a.m. Monday, or I mean Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And uh, it has been wonderful. Uh, there's just been a real fire. There's been 20 to 25 people every morning, uh, which is, it's good to see that because the, the prayer meetings were getting a little low as of late. And uh, so if you can make it out for even just one of those, I want to encourage you to do so. Uh, we, that is what's on God's heart right now. So I'm going to use that as a shameless segue to get into the word. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you that you pull us into your purposes. That history truly is his story. Your story of what you do among the affairs of men. And Lord, I thank you that you pull us into that process and you invite us, even command us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, Lord, I ask that you to open our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share something with you. I got a lot on my heart today and trying to figure out where to jump in. So I'm going to jump in and share something with you. I don't know if I've ever shared this publicly. I'm, I've shared it publicly. I don't know if I've ever shared it from the pulpit. Uh, I probably have. Some of you are going to just kind of roll your eyes. Pastor, you've shared that so many times. Just uh, one time Norm Winnig told me, he said, Dave, you can preach the same sermon as long as you have different illustrations and different jokes. I said, uh-oh. I, 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 have, I only have a few jokes, so. Uh, all right. October 11th, 2018, we were in prayer on a, the Thursday morning prayer. And uh, it was just a very normal uh, October morning. Prior to that, it would the, I believe it was the Sunday before that, on September 22nd, 2018. Uh, it was a Saturday night. Uh, Brittany Wheeler had a dream. And in the dream, she kept hearing the words 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12. And then in the dream, Linda Schreers walked up to her and gave her a key with an inscription on it. And the dream was over. The next morning, she sent that to me. And that was a Sunday morning. And we entered into something in worship that morning. Uh, where some of, some of you may remember this. We were in worship and it got real intense. And my wife came over to me. She said, Dave, we need to pray for President Trump now. And uh, I could tell that that was a word from the Lord. It was, it was a sobering moment. And it was like something opened up in the spirit. And uh, I asked the Lord, I said, what is that? What, what is this? And he, he told me it's a trading floor where we can do business for the kingdom. I was a little, frankly, uncomfortable with that terminology, uh, and I won't get into why, but uh, I asked the Lord about that, and uh, 
we began to pray for President Trump and there was tremendous authority in the room and tremendous activity. It was like this, this swirling activity in the spirit uh, that those of you that were here that morning could tell, wow, what was that? It was, uh, there just something was happening in the room. That next Thursday, we got together for prayer and uh, it was one of those boring mornings of prayer. Anybody have a boring time of prayer? Uh, I was sharing with one of the, the prayer meetings this, this week. I, I love this phrase by Mike Bickle. I heard him say it 20 years ago and it really ministered to me. And this is what he said, God answers unanointed prayer. And I was like, thank you, Jesus, because that means I matter. Because very few of my prayers feel anointed. And really what he was talking about is those times where we're not feeling things, when, we're, when it seems dead and dry, God is on those times and that means something to the Lord. It carries weight with him. Our faithfulness in those moments where we're not feeling anything is very, very important to the kingdom of God. And if we don't continue in those times, we'll never break into those times where we're feeling it and where it does seem anointed. And uh, so this was one of those unanointed mornings, okay? Uh, I got up and it was just going to close it. And as we stood there, it's not like I felt anything glorious. It wasn't like, oh man, the anointing fell. It was like crickets, okay? And I just called everybody together and I said, okay, we're going to close. And I closed my eyes and all of a sudden I saw two angels off to my right. There was one standing uh, just probably about where that brown line is from me. Uh, we were upstairs. He was standing there and right over his left shoulder was another angel. And I was so struck by the first one, I didn't really focus in on the second one. The first one was dressed. He had only, John was talking about you glorious bald people. He was bald. He was a bald angel. He had hair around the perimeter of his head, but on, on top he was bald. He had little spectacles. Uh, they were glasses, but they were the kind you look at as spectacles. And he had a tweed jacket on. And he had a big leather bound uh, book in his hand and a pointer stick. And the Lord told me he's a professor. That both of them were instructors. They were professors. And the first one was from the school of government, is what the Lord told me. And the one just over his shoulder was from the war college of heaven. And I can't say for sure, but my sense was he, he looked like a Roman soul, like he was dressed in Roman gear. Uh, but the one in front of him was definitely, he had a tweed sport coat and he looked like a professor, kind of like a... Hey, I've worn tweed coats, so don't take offense if you have one. And I say, he kind of looked nerdy, okay? And uh, he was kind of a, a, an academic little fella. And I was stunned with how clear it was. And I, I, I was wondering, what in the world? And I asked the Lord, I said, God, wh why glasses? Because to me, I, I've worn glasses since the fifth grade. And I remember getting them. I put them on and I was amazed. I thought, oh my goodness, the lawn is made up of individual blades. <laughs> this is amazing. All of a sudden I could see things and I didn't realize how blind I am. And I think I, I, think I was told I'm legally blind without my glasses. Uh, so... Uh, to me, glasses are a, f a result of the fall. And I'm thinking, why would an angel need glasses? And so I asked the Lord. I didn't ask him about the bald head guy, so I don't have a word, I don't have a revelation on this. But I felt like what immediately what entered my mind was 
They enable him to see things others don't see. And I was immediately reminded, anybody seen the movie National Treasure where he has those glasses and he flips them up and down. He could see different things on, the, on that document. That was my sense that he, it was enabled him to see things that others couldn't see. And, and let me just pause here. For those of you that think I'm weird to even talk about angels, if you pulled angels out of the scripture, the whole thing would collapse on itself. Angels are, are, it says they are servants who uh, serve the heirs of salvation. They are our partners in the spirit. We don't worship angels, but we don't ignore them. If they show up, it's significant and there's a reason. And so that's why I asked the Lord, I said, God, what is this? And he told me they're professors and that God is wanting to take us into semesters of learning was the language he used. Semesters of learning that he wanted to teach us. And I was struck by the government angel being at the forefront and the warrior angel being at the back. As if God was pushing the governing angel to the forefront and it's the season to learn to govern. And I saw this school in the spirit. It was a mountain he was inviting us upon. And it was a mountain over the earth. And from there, we would, we would uh, declare things into the earth, into our nation and the nations of the earth. And I felt specifically about our nation. But the Lord was very clear that we were to engage in this type of intercession, not out of some nationalistic loyalty, but out of God's desires for this nation. That he was inviting us to partner with him, to govern with him. You see, God is the Lord of all the earth. And as we've been talking about this, this theology of prayer, the first thing we talked about was a cosmology. What, how does this thing work? And when, when Jesus told the disciples, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom have been given to you, what he was really saying is the understanding of the mysterious ways on which I exert my rule over the earth has been given to you. That's what that phrase means. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom. The kingdom is his rule, the king's dominion. And the secrets of the king's dominion is the mysterious ways in which God exerts his rule over human nature. And God is wanting to pull us in and teach us the knowledge of the secrets. He wants us to know how he's doing it. Why? Because you and I are to rule and reign with him. And that is not some futuristic thing at the end of the age or in eternity. Eternity starts now. When we got saved, we entered into eternal life. And the powers of the age to come, Scripture says, are to be pulled in now. That we are ruling and reigning with him. And that is why Jesus taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If God's will is always done, why in the world are we inviting it to happen? Because God has delegated the earth to us, according to Psalm chapter 8, reiterated in Hebrews chapter 2. He delegated it to us, and we need to invite him. So the principle of prayer is concisely this. Divine intervention only by human invitation. God will not overrule the system he himself put up. And so he, and he engages us. He invites us into this process of ruling and reigning with him. And he's telling us, invite my intervention while we wring our hands and say, why doesn't God do something? God is up there saying, why don't you ask me? Complaining about God's inactivity and intercession are not synonymous. Complaining about what God's not doing does not register as prayer in heaven. 
asking him by faith, engaging our faith and saying, God, come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are called to rule and reign with him. And so this whole thing of the kingdom that we've been invited, we've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. We are delegates in the kingdom, sent as ambassadors from the kingdom of our origin, our birth. We are born again, kingdom. We are born again, sons and daughters of the king, delegated authority, and we now walk the earth as ambassadors from another kingdom. And the embassies of the kingdom are called churches or the ecclesia. And the word ecclesia is a legislative body invested with authority to see the will of the emperor done. That's the idea behind ecclesia. Now, in the New Testament, we have a lot of metaphors for what the church is. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is the family of God. The church is, and you can fill in the blank, there's, there's numerous metaphors of what the church is. But the church's name is the ecclesia of God. We are a legislative body to register, to press the crown rights of King Jesus on this rebel world. This, this renegade planet. And God has sent us down here to see his kingdom come and his will be done. That is the nature of prayer. And in that encounter, I, I, I've gone back and forth and I, I've wondered, you know, Lord, what was that about? And, and uh, I've really been asking the Lord about that encounter this week. Frankly, I can't believe, I, I wonder, did I have the dates wrong? I can't believe it's been that long ago. But the Lord told me he's taking us into semesters of learning. And this, this was the, the idea with which it hit me, that these, these semesters of learning, it's going to take sacrifice from us. Just like a dad who has a full-time job and he's supporting his family, but he also wants to upgrade his education. So he goes to night school and it takes sacrifice to learn. That's what God's inviting us into semesters of learning where he wants to teach us about the government of God because here's the problem for too long the church has been showing up too late in the game we're not awakened until it hits crisis mode and therefore the church goes from warfare and great sacrifice and victory and breakthrough and then we just ride the wave of our breakthrough until it hits crisis point again. And so we go from apathy to warfare to apathy to warfare and God wants to firmly establish us that following victory we learn to govern the gains of our intercession. And this demands that we upgrade ourselves in our engagement. Because here's the thing. If only crisis, if crisis is the only thing that will cause you to pray, then God will accommodate the system you yourself has set up. He will provide crisis after crisis after crisis because he loves you enough to keep you engaged. What God wants to do, that is true personally, that is true nationally, that is true corporately. And what God wants to do is he wants to raise up a people who will rule and reign with him. 
God wants to teach us to govern with him. I used to preach this. I've preached it here. I, I, I find myself apologizing for my previous sermons at times. That should trouble you. But hey, let God be true and every man a liar. You listen to me preach and then go home and search the scriptures to see if it be true. And if you find something I'm off, hey, come and tell me. And I'll tell you where I'm coming from and maybe you can help me out here. But I used to preach in, when, in Jesus' prayer where he said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I used to say, well, that was simply two ways of saying the same thing. He's reiterating what he originally said. And, and that's not unprecedented in Hebrew language. Hebrews would, would say that. I, I do that. You know, I'll, I'll use several different words to really nail down what I'm saying. But that is not what Jesus was doing. Thy kingdom come is the invasion of heaven's power. The kingdom, Paul said, is not a matter of words, but of power. Thy kingdom come is the matter of God's power invading the situation and displacing the principalities and powers that have been exercising influence in that situation. Thy kingdom come is his authority being set up and his government being established so that the enemy cannot re-enter after he's been displaced. And as the Pentecostal church, we've been real good at ushering in power and getting in crisis mode. But we've not been good about cooperating with God in the establishment of his government, of his authority, of ruling and reigning with him. It's a different art. Some of you will remember I, a few years ago, I felt like the Lord told me, he said, give me three weeks in July. And I felt distinctly led of the Lord to, to gather some, and I, I felt like the Lord showed me exactly who I was supposed to invite into this three-week fast, and we gave God three weeks in July. I don't remember what year ago. It was probably 10 years ago now, or eight or seven or something. Sometime in the last two weeks to 10 years, okay? And it happened then. And during that time, we were crying out to God, and uh, didn't even really know why. I just felt like the Lord was saying he wanted us to give him three weeks in that July. And so we were crying out to God in intercession. And we broke it with, and, and some of the Latinos that had joined us in the fast said they would make the food and we had a celebration. Breaking a fast with, well, Mexican food. I want to start doing the jig here. That was, I, I saw the look. And some of you were absolutely horrified when you saw me do that. <laughs> My wife got the dry heaves. I apologize. But anyway, okay. The, we, broke, we broke that fast with, the, that has nothing to do with what I was saying. Okay, I, I know what I was saying. We were, okay, during that fast, I, I walked through the living room and someone had the History Channel on. It was about Genghis Khan. And they were talking about how Genghis Khan conquered more territory than any man who had ever lived. He ruled over more people, even more than Alexander the Great, according to this show. Now, I've never verified that. I've never been able to talk to Genghis or Alexander. But they, this is what this historian was saying. But they said that after his death, his empire just disintegrated and evaporated. And they made this observation. And this was the nugget that God wanted me to get in 21 days of fasting. I'm kind of thick-headed. Took 21 days of no food to get this one thing off the History Channel. He said that, they said this. They said that Genghis Khan, he was a wonderful, he was a brilliant military strategist, but a poor governor. He knew how to go to battle and conquer, 
but he didn't set up any government behind him in his wake. And the Lord began to talk to me in that moment and talk to me about how it grieves his heart because that's often the story of his children. We've got great stories of great battles. We've got all these great stories of encounters and, and breakthrough, the crisis moment. We cried out and God broke in. But in reality, we have very little to leave our children after the fact. Because we're good at war, but we don't know how to govern the gains of our intercession. And I'm here to tell you this morning that God is inviting us in to learn to govern with him. The ecclesia, when we talk about the ecclesia, now the, the, the church is framed as the army of God in the New Testament, but not under the auspices or under the title of the ecclesia. The ecclesia is the governing body. It's the governing element of our mission. Yes, we are the people, we are the army of God. We, we engage in warfare and we, we fast and we pray and we ask for breakthrough. But we need more than power. We need two other things. We need both wisdom and authority. God wants to teach us to govern the gains of what he's given us. He wants to teach us how to begin to govern over things. And he wants to, us to understand how to stay ahead of the game and not show up at the 11th hour. Some of you will remember Vicky's class on the war room. How many of you went through Vicky's seminar on the war room? How many of you have no idea what I'm talking about? Raise your hand high if you've never heard. Yeah. Well, we need to do another one. Vicky McKim, she, she had uh, gotten this download let me just do a little prophetic history this morning. Vicki came to me and she said, Pastor Dave, I, the Lord has given me a blueprint for a war room. Now, mind you, this was just before the movie came out, so we didn't know there was a movie. We weren't trying to be, you know, we didn't call our other group the Avengers, anything like that. It's, <laughs> it's just that I, I believe that that was a significant sign that that was on God's heart. Often you'll see that uh, the creative arts will begin to pull things out. They're, they're intuitively kind of catching some things that are going on in the spirit. And Vicki came to me and she said, Pastor, God gave me an outline for a war room. And we need to have different elements uh, put in place. And the Lord began to speak to her about the different military bodies, the di different military arms of our, our, uh, that our nation has. And she talked about how the, uh, you know, there's the ground troops that are praying the one-on-one -on -one things. There are the Marines who are going deep. There's the Air Forces dealing with warfare. There's the intel community who's getting the prophetic intel to, to feed the prayer, the, the war room. And uh, she shared all this with me. And to my my shame, okay, this morning, I'm just making a confession, and I've told Vicki this. I thought, well, that's cute. I didn't say that, okay? But I, that's kind of what I thought. I, I, that's a little strong, but I thought, oh, that's, that's nice. That's, that's a neat, neat metaphor, but it didn't strike me. About two days later, I'm studying in Ephesians chapter 3, and while I'm studying, man, the Lord began to talk to me about the mysteries of God and the wisdom, and that he wants to share his mysteries with us, and, and wisdom is the key to breaking open to new seasons. And God will, God, what God does is he withholds wisdom. He withholds truth uh, to a certain time because God releasing revelation is how he pushes his purposes forward. 
And Revelation breaks us into new eras. Breaks us into new eras personally, corporately. So much so even, even uh, globally, historically. We, we, we still talk about the Iron Age, the, uh, the Industrial Age. You see, these were discoveries of certain things that were game changers and changed everything. And you see this in scripture talking about he withheld that wisdom until the given time. Because wisdom is the game changer. And uh, I, I, man, the Lord was just speaking to me. So I called Bob Phillips, who was at the time was still pastoring in Houston, Texas. And I began to share it with him. And, and uh, Bob said, Dave, you know what that word mystery is in the Greek? And Bob, Bob was a Greek scholar. And I said, no. And he said, it's mysterion. He said, it's interesting because it comes from the root word war room. At which point my hair stood up. And the Spirit of God fell on me, and I said, oh my goodness. I said, Bob, I just had one of our prophetic intercessors come to me with a strategy for a war room. And he began to explain to me that the way it worked, that the, the, the root word of this mysterion, the mysteries of God, was the Greek word. It was the idea of a war room. And in Roman, Grecian military culture, and of course, all, all other cultures operate some form or fashion of this. What they would do is they would send out their intelligence officers and they would, they would gather intel. They would have spies behind enemy lines. They would have, you know, if they had aerial reconnaissance, they would use that. And they would, they're pulling in all the intel and then they would shut themselves into what was called a war room. And it was a highly secretive site. It was a place where they had to, it, they had to, it was secure and they would discuss all the intel and they would develop strategy. And once it was developed, they would, they would seal that strategy in a leather satchel with a wax seal. And the troops would be told to go where they were going to fight without any idea of what they were going to do. And they would deliver that satchel. And if it arrived with a broken seal, they would scrap the strategy because it was so crucial. It was so important. It was so key to the overall uh, purposes of that empire that they would have to go back to the drawing table because they couldn't risk that falling into enemy hands. That's the idea behind the mysteries of God. That God has mysteries, keys to his overall strategy and his overall purpose that he gives to us at the specific time. And Bob began to explain how in one of his churches that he had pastored years earlier as a young man out in Virginia, he said there were some submarine commanders that were in his church and he was teaching on that one time and they, they came up to him after service and said, Bob, Pastor Bob, that's exactly how it works in, in, in our submarine command. He said, we are given coordinates somewhere on the globe underwater and we're to report to duty and we sit under the water at these exact coordinates not knowing why. And only when we have arrived do we get the next step and they give us our true orders. And I thought, been there, done that in my walk with Jesus. Had no idea what he was, why he was telling me to do what he told me to do. But had I not obeyed, I would have missed the next step. And I would have missed out on what God was really wanting to do. Because the mysteries of God that he keeps from the enemy... Paul calls it the hidden wisdom in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 when he says, had the rulers of this dark age known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But God lured them in with hidden wisdom. And when it was revealed, it was too late for the enemy. 
And God couldn't allow that to fall into enemy hands. Here's the catch. It's not only hidden to the enemy, it's hidden to you and I until the given time. And if you demand that God explain everything to you in advance, you will render yourself unusable in the hand of God. So God has to find the people that are pliable and usable and will just report for duty. And he gives, he releases the mysteries. And as we're talking about this, Bob, Bob said, Dave, I tried to do this in Houston and I wasn't able to get it off the ground. And we talked about it and I was, I was really blown away because I was having this little time in my office and I called him and it just increased. And, and I realized Vicky's conversation was not a cute metaphor. It was a strategy from heaven. And I was deeply moved and then Bob said this. He just said, Dave, we're supposed to do this. Because Bob, he, had already, he was already planning on coming here. So it was, he wasn't pastoring down there anymore. He was still living there. And he said, Dave, we're supposed to do this. And when he said it, all I can explain, I can't explain it any other way than this. It's like the authority of God walked through my office door and filled the room. I didn't see anything, but I felt it. And the fear of the Lord came on me. And so Vicki did her teaching on the war room. But we're going to do this again. We need to get this thing geared up. Because what the idea was is that we, we create pipelines so that what God is showing the various people and we find out who is called to pray in what way. Because some people are called to pray in different ways. Some people, they're worshipers and they're going up, they're the Air Force, they're going into the heavens and they're just releasing the praise of God and they're clearing the skies. Others are prophetic intercessors. They're like the, the intelligence community. They're going behind enemy lines and they're gathering information. And we, we gather this to know how to pray. And that is part of governing with God because here's the problem. It's like last night, our state legislature, we have a majority Republican legislature. And we've been encouraging them vigorously to pass some pro-life legislation because we've had some judicial overreach in this state. There's limitations on authority, and that's true of our form of government because our form of government was modeled after Scripture. And the reason our founding fathers didn't give what we don't have a king, we have three branches of government for checks and balances so that no one person could rule over everyone. And there's checks and balances. But it, we're seeing what's happening in our court system. That there are those who are trying to legislate through the bench. The bench is, the, the judicial branch is not to legislate law. They're to interpret it. It's the legislature. That's why they're called that. I know I'm being sarcastic. They are to legislate law. They're create law. The executive branch executes it and enforces it. And the judicial branch interprets it. But what we have today, and, and just a little history history lesson. We don't have time to get into this, but this is the result of Darwinian evolution being applied to law. That in all, everybody, anybody ever heard of Oliver Wendell Holmes? Yeah. Famous judicial uh, Supreme Court justice. He stated, all we're asking is to be able to apply Darwinian philosophy to the area of law. And what he was saying is this, as man evolves, so do our laws. So there are no absolutes. As man evolves, our laws evolve. So now what we have is we don't have 
us being ruled over by a law, what we do is we have philosopher kings in black robes telling us what they want us to do. And it needs to be brought into check. And so what we did is we were praying and, and there were people petitioning our Republican legislators to get this thing passed because there was a, uh, one of the Supreme Court justices stepped over and said there is the guarantee of abortion under the Iowa Constitution and the state needs to be paying for those things in certain cir circumstances. And so what we'd asked the legislator, the Republican conservative legislator that is supposed to be pro-life, say... We're just going to bring that back to the neutral view. All, that's all they were asking is to the neutral view that there's not a guarantee for abortion in the Constitution. They were to pass it and then it was brought for the people. They needed 51 votes and they had 50. And they closed last night. And we missed our opportunity. And one of the reasons is we are not informed enough as the body of Christ. Now, let me just pause there. Let's put all this on hold for a second. Because there, it's possible that some of you are thinking, well, Pastor Dave, I think that that's not the job of the church to get politically involved. We're not supposed to get into politics. Matter of fact, I've had numerous people quote this verse to me. Jesus stood before Pilate and said, my kingdom is not of this world. And they interpret that as, hey, I'm not interested in this world. I'm only interested in the heavenly one. Well, Jesus contradicted that in his lesson on how we're to pray. He said, what I want is what's going on up there to come on down here, and I'm putting it in your hands, and it's gonna happen through prayer and involvement in the earth. When Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, you look at the context, he was not talking about his interest, he was not talking about the impact of the kingdom, he was talking about the source of his authority. The word kingdom means dominion. And he was saying, my dominion is not finding its source in this world. I came from another world and I brought my dominion with me and I intend to use it on planet earth. Amen. That's what he's saying. You and I are called to see the kingdom of God come to earth. God, had, God is very, very, the kingdom of God has application to all of life. And this truncated gospel that just is worried, only concerned about, did someone say a sinner's prayer? Because that's all that matters. And what we do is we make it harder to preach the gospel because we abdicate the, the, the whole arena whereby people with the mind of Christ, believers and righteous men, scripture says, when the righteous rule, the people rejoice. How are they going to get there? Well, that's up to the Lord. We're just concerned about evangelism. That is not scriptural. We're to be engaged in all of life. And in this great nation where we are a republic, we have been invested with awesome, fearsome authority called a vote. And you need to exercise that for the kingdom of heaven. You need to look at things and see where things are going to lie. And we need to be delivered from these, from platitudes and just little one-liners, and we need to take a deep dive and do our research. And in this situation tonight, to, last night, we showed up too late in the game. Now, there were people involved. John and Laura have been highly involved. I'm sure Jennifer and a number of others that go up to this, this state house. But we weren't engaged early on enough. 
And there are things going on in the earth that until it affects us, we're not awakened because we're not in governing mode. We're in warfare mode and let's just, let's just kind of ride it out mode until things get so bad and then we cry out to heaven. And God wants to raise up a people who learn to govern with him. And so what we're doing is we're leaning in and we're hearing his heart. God, what is your will in this matter? Lord, what are you wanting to do in this situation? And again, the Lord made it very clear to me. And I'm in full agreement with Jesus. Okay? Just so you know. I am not talking about praying for our nation in some nationalistic sense that we're going to stand with the United States regardless of any evil policy because we're American. I am a citizen of heaven before I'm a citizen of the United States. However, God chooses the times and places in which a man should live. And God chose for me to live here. And so therefore it is my responsibility to pray his kingdom come here. This is my Jerusalem. You are worse than an infidel. You're worse than someone who doesn't believe unless you care for your own. I've had people rebuke me. Oh, you you shouldn't care more for your country than another country. Paul was willing to die for the gospel to preach it to the Gentiles. But Paul was willing to go to hell for the Israelites. Because God had wed him to his people. And I'm not talking about siding with evil. I'm talking about we are, we are those, we are delegates, we are ambassadors from another kingdom. And we call it like it is. And when there's evil, I don't care the political affiliation. We call it for what it is. And we speak the word of the Lord. God needs John the Baptists who will get in the king's face and rebuke him. And he also needs Daniels who will serve faithfully the pagan king and love him well. And you need to know which you're called to. Let's little rabbit trail here. I haven't talked about this in quite a while. There are overts and there are coverts. There are those who are overtly preaching the gospel like a John the Baptist or an Elijah and they stuck their finger, their bony prophetic finger right in the face of the king and rebuked him. John lost his head over it, by the way. And then there are coverts, those who are agents of the kingdom, serving in these realms that are very evil, like a Joseph who served pagan Pharaoh, or Daniel who served numerous pagan kings. You just got to know your calling. And the coverts can't look at the overts and say, you guys are making things bad for us. You know, guys, tone it down. And the overts can't look at the coverts. You guys are in compromise. You're, you're bound by fear. There are different callings. So the question is, who was really in God's will? John the Baptist or Daniel? And the answer is, uh-huh. And we just need to know where we're called. But we all have our role. But we're to be about the king's business. And it really does matter what's going on in our nation. We were praying this, this week. And I was, I think it was Tuesday. I was shocked what the Lord said to me. And I'm going to say it like he said it. And I still wrestle with the terminology. But he, he, this is what he said. He said, premature hope will undermine intercession. 
And I thought, Lord, we're, we're supposed to live in hope. You are our hope. We, if anybody has hope. But what he was talking about is hope in a situation that we haven't prayed through yet. And as I questioned, Lord, that, that seems like that contradicts your word. All of a sudden, he spoke this verse to me. It is a very obscure verse. Listen to what it says. He who puts on his armor should not brag as him who takes it off. It was the words of Ahab to Ben-Hadad when Ben-Hadad came to, to Samaria and said, I'm going to I'm I'm come in and I'm going to plunder the people of Israel. And Ahab, being an Ahab, you got to know his story, <laughs> takes an Ahab to be married to a Jezebel. And so Ahab, that's another sermon for another time. He said, he said okay, you can have all the gold. He said, all your gold is mine, all your silver. He said, okay, my Lord, Ben-Hadad, sent the message back. Ben-Hadad was just looking for a fight. So he said, you know what? Not only that, but I'm going to come and take your finest to children, your finest to wives, all this. I'm going to take this and that and that. And he wrote back and he said, my Lord, I, I agreed to your first request, but I cannot agree to this one. And so Ben-Hadad sends word back, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if there is left one handful of dust when we're done with you. And Ahab sends this word back. He who puts on his armor should not brag as one who takes it off. In other words, leave your brag until after the battle, buddy, because you ain't won it yet. And that's what the Lord spoke to me. And it was deeply troubling to me. Because there's a battle in front of us. And my concern is our charismatic bravado and our revival rhetoric can undermine the urgency of the hour. And that we can stand here in the finished work of Christ personally and lose our nation. The finished work of Christ applies to soteriology, to salvation. It's the finished work of Christ but intercession is not about the finished work of Christ. It, it, that's the foundation, but it's not about that. The finished work of Christ belongs to another branch of theology called pneumatology and ministry. And over here, we are merely recipients and we receive it. It's a gift. He did it all. We receive it. Over here, we partner with the Spirit. And it's not a free gift. There's a price to pay. And somebody needs to get under the load. And this is where Paul says, I fill up in my body that which remains of the sufferings of Christ. And our application, our misapplication of, these, of the finished work of Christ and our charismatic bravado about, hey, God is good and hey, his will's always done and woo, we're, we're, gonna, we're, always, we're more than conquerors. He who puts on his armor should not speak like he who takes it off. There is a battle in front of us right now. And we need to understand, we could lose this nation if we don't engage our hearts to pray. And it was within that context that the Lord began to speak to me about the church shows up too late in the game. 
We, we don't show up in intercession until it's the last hour. And again and again, the Lord has pulled the church's fat out of the fire. But what God is looking for is a people that don't have to be pushed into the, the crisis of the moment, but they govern so well that the enemy can't get in to make those moments anymore. That we learn to govern with him. And through prophetic intel, we're hearing the voice of the Lord. And we're keeping abreast of situations in our community. We have our finger on the pulse of what's going on in the earth. Because we recognize we are stewards of what's going on. That it is our responsibility. We are the ecclesia of God. And so it's our responsibility to know what's going on. There's a deeply troubling story in the Old Testament. It's the life of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah is told by the prophet, the prophet comes in and says, get your, th get your house in order, buddy. It's over. You're going to die. Now, he was a good man. The Lord just telling him, it's time. You're, you're going to die. And he cries out and get, God gives him a few more years. And he's going to be, the, the enemy's closing in on him. And he cries out to God and the Lord gives him a respite. And these were the words of Hezekiah. This is so troubling. He said, well, at least it'll be peaceful in my life. And I'm afraid that has been the heart posture of the church. We only engage in prayer when it begins to affect our peace and our prosperity. And as charismatics, as Pentecostals, we're into this urgency, this thing of the moment, the breakthrough, but we've not embraced this principle of governing for longevity. And looking at, God, we want to establish things now and we want to stay on top of things and we want to govern with you and govern well so that these things don't happen. That our children and our children's children, like we prayed this morning, we sang out, that they would live in the peace and they would live under the protection of God and they would enjoy the peace and prosperity that you and I have enjoyed. But if we don't learn to govern with God, we could lose our nation. There are pockets in our nation right now, Seattle is one of them, where there's a whole area being ruled by radical Marxists. And you need to understand, Marxism, leftist ideology, is demonic to its core. It is anti-scriptural, it is anti-kingdom, and at its foundation. When you look at it through economically, it's socialism religiously, it's atheism. There is a reason that those governments that embraced Marxism had people at their gates keeping their people in when we embraced capitalism, which is based on a Christian worldview. We had people at our borders trying to keep people out. There's a reason people want to come here and get away from there because wisdom is known by her children and we need to understand, Marxist ideology is demonic. It is spawned in hell. And we need to pray. I'm not saying, I'm, I'm not, listen, I am not saying that the Democrat Party 
is demonic. I'm not saying that if you, hey, my, my family, we were, my whole family was Democrat until Reagan. I was raised in a home, a democratic home. There's a difference between liberalism and leftism. Liberalism just says, hey, we want government to have a larger role. Leftist ideology is demonic. We're going to do some teaching on some of these things because we need to be informed. But I'm telling you, God is, and, and again, I'm not talking some nationalistic perspective. I'm talking we are citizens, ambassadors of the kingdom, and we are called to release his purposes on the earth. I am calling you to prayer. I am calling you to engage in fervent intercession. And we've got to get beyond warfare and move into governing. We've got to get beyond power and cry out for authority and wisdom to release God's purposes and with him to govern the earth well. I want you just to, in your own heart, get in a surrendered posture before the Lord. I watched an interview this week with Mike Bickle interviewing one of the primary leaders of YWAM, the largest missions organization on the earth. And they were talking about this encounter they had with the Lord and the guy from YWAM made this statement and it struck me, but I'm afraid he's right. Understand when I'm afraid, I don't mean I'm fearful. What I mean is it's not what I wanted to hear, but I think he's right. He said, I think it's going to be war from here on out. One disruption after another. God is shaking things. The enemy is shaking things. And I don't think that we're, this, this present crisis is the last. I think we're going to hit crisis after crisis. And those who begin to move with God, this will be our finest hour. I really do believe it. I believe we're going to see tremendous moves of the Spirit. We're going to see signs in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. The hour of mere healing. And, I, and understand, I love healing. But I'm saying mere healing. Where physical bodies are here. We're moving into a time where there will be signs in nature. By the word of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord will grip the hearts of men. And cause the masses to come back to him. But it's going to only be those. Who are flowing with God. Before God can govern through us, he has to govern in us. And before he can war through us, there's got to be a war in us. He's got to win all of us. And so, Father, we just ask you right now. Lord, I invite you to take your microscope and begin to search our hearts, Lord. God, we know you're a merciful Father. But Lord, we want to be clean and we want to be free. We want to be able to say what you said on the night of your execution. The enemy has nothing in me. So Lord, we're asking God that you would re release a purging fire. Lord, help us to see what we need to see in our own hearts and let it go, God. Oh God, Lord, we know you are for us and not against us. I really do believe we're in this hour, just like Joshua stood before the, stood before the, 
city of Jericho in the field and he had an encounter and the Lord showed up as the captain of the Lord's host and he fell before this, the angel of the Lord, the messenger. It was a, uh, what theologians call theophany, a pre-incarnate expression, manifestation of Jesus himself. And he asked him a very good question. Are you for us or for our enemy? And the angel was very clear. I am for the Lord. It's not a matter of the Lord being for us. It's are we for him? We get to choose. We choose if we're on the winning side, the safe side, because it's his side. But the Lord, we're in an hour where the Lord is coming into the temple and he's turning tables over because he's going to clean some things up and set things in order. God's zeal, even his anger, his judgments. The judgments of God are simply his edicts. It's his judicial decisions. We often use that terminology. We think, oh, the judgments of God, like some negative thing is going to happen. No, it's not a negative thing. It's his judicial decision. God, he, he makes his mind up and he releases his judicial decision. It's only negative if you're on the wrong side of that decision. The judgments of God are good. He is just. He's a just judge. So the judgments of God being released are to set things in order. But we've got to make sure we're on the right side. And I'm very deeply concerned with much of the church that we've, out of emotion, we jump on to the wrong side of things and we find ourselves on the receiving end. We all need to search our hearts. And so, Lord, I'm asking God that you'd teach us and you'd search our hearts, Lord. God, do a deep work. And Father, I'm asking that you would release grace for intercession. Lord, grace for fresh intimacy. You'd pull us in and you'd do, Lord, that there would be deep dealings. Lord, that your plow blade would go deep in our hearts and turn up, turn over the fallow ground. Sarah. Would you come up here a second? I want you to share with us what the Lord told you. She came up to me after service or after worship this morning. Yes. So this morning, um, the Lord gave me a passage. It was Psalms 57. And just this, this whole week, I've just been talking to my sister about the times and, you know, where we're supposed to be, where our heart's positioned and how we're supposed to sow. And together, as we were praying, we were like, wow, the Lord is really revealing that we're in a time of like fertile soil, meaning like whatever's planted, even if it's evil, it will grow. Like you're saying, like a lot of hard things are going to come. But since it, the ground is fertile, we need to sow right now because the goodness is going to be exponential. Yeah. And so that was really encouraging for me because it's like, what am I sowing like? What is each and every one of our hearts sowing in? Because the fruit is going to come. Yeah. Good or bad. Yeah. Amen. Thank you. So we need to be careful what we let in our hearts. It's a time of fertility where whatever is sown will grow. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you. Holy Spirit, just brood over us. Do your work. I want to encourage you. Let God do a work in you in this coming week. If you can make it out. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, 7 a.m., 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. And if you want to stay later, you are more than welcome to do it. But this is a time for us to take our place on the wall. Amen? Amen. I love you. You have a great week, and I hope to see you in prayer.
bless you. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.